Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We've been talking the last little while about spiritual growth and development. And last week I focused specifically on the fact that spiritual growth and development takes place when we begin to put the Word of God into practice. Knowing the Word of God is good. Practicing the Word of God, however, is an altogether different thing. Uh, Luke, do you know how to drive a car? You don't know how to drive a car. You just put your foot on that pedal and you steer. You know how, right? Can you do it? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. And it's kind of the same thing. That's kind of what we covered last week, the fact that knowing about the Word of God is good, but true spiritual growth and development only really takes place when we begin to get at it, when we apply it. So Luke, you will learn how to drive a car, and there will be someone who will help you and walk with you and teach you how to do it until you're proficient. And then even after that, you will still grow in understanding Hopefully not through too many mistakes. And that's how we grow in life, by putting into practice the Word of God. That's how spiritual growth and development happens. Spiritual growth and development does not happen by coming to church and sitting in church. Now that's a good thing. We need to come to church, we need to be together, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're growing spiritually. It happens as we begin to to take the gifts and the talents that God has given us, and use them to follow His leading, and to follow His Word, to be a blessing to those around us, and to serve them. Each of us has a unique gift and a unique personality. Every single one. None of us are made the same. I mean, we know. We all have a different fingerprint. We know we're all unique. But the point that I want to make is that God has made you on purpose for a purpose just the way you are. You're not some accident, and just because you don't think like anybody around you, that doesn't mean you're broken or defective or there's something wrong. The fact is that because you don't think like anybody else around you, you're probably a gift to everybody else around you. And Paul, writing to the the church in Rome, uh, I'll read to you from Romans 12, verses 6 to 11 from the New Living Translation. He says this, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out as much, uh, with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If you're a, uh, where am I? If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is whatever your gift is, don't sit on it. Don't acknowledge, okay, I've got this gift, but don't use it. He says, if you can do this, be active in it. Be actively engaged. God has given, if if God has given you the gift of leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others really love them. And I like that. Don't just pretend to love others or give lip service or do a little thing here and there. 
Put your heart into what you're doing. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. You see, folks, a God-given gift will always be born of and motivated by love. Why? Because God is love. And God has given you a gift in His love through which He desires for you to manifest and to share His love. So we cannot function in the gifting and the grace that God has upon our lives outside of genuine and sincere love. Have you ever thought about that? There's a lot of things you can do without love. But I tell you what, you're not going to be ministering any life or grace to others. First of all, love for God. And second of all, love for people. The love that we have for those around us. You see, this world's idea of love is a self-serving idea. I will love you if you love me. But when we have a genuine love for God and His love has truly gripped our hearts, His love begins to manifest in the sense that we begin to love those around us because we see the value that God has placed in them. They are God's creation. And God loves them. And He's placed value and gifts inside of them. And He's given you and I the privilege of helping them discover their gifts and to serve. How do we do that? By using our own gifts. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know what your God-given grace is. You don't know what your God-given gift is. And, you know, sometimes you know what your gift isn't. And that's a really helpful thing, especially when it comes to something like singing. You know, that's why I hate and will not go near karaoke's. Because there's, they're filled with people who don't know what their gift isn't. But if you want to know what your gift is, simply start looking for ways to show love to others. How do I show love to somebody else? How do I help somebody else? And as you look for ways, in other words, you're not passive. You are literally looking for opportunities to show love to people around you. As you begin to show love, you, your gift will manifest. Not just to others, but to yourself. Why? Because the way you show love is a natural thing that will begin to come out of you. Some people show love in very practical ways. You know that there's five love languages, and when they do marriage counseling, they often talk about it. Some people love to give gifts. Some people love to help people practically. They won't tell you. There's many husbands that will probably hardly ever tell their wives that they love them. But they'll build them a kitchen, or they'll do practical works for them, or they'll do things. There's different ways of communicating love. And when you endeavor to set about trying to show love to somebody, set a target and say, how can I love them? You'll begin to find out very quickly what your gift and what your grace is. Proverbs 18, verse 16 says this, a man's gift makes, way, makes room for him and brings him before great men. A man's gift makes room for him. And brings him before great men. It gives him, your gift will create for you a sphere of influence where that gift is required and needed, where that gift will be celebrated and will be a blessing to others. Miles Monroe said this Somehow we've swallowed the idea that education is the key to success. Our families and societies have reinforced this idea to us, but we, will have to change our perspective 
if we are to be truly successful. Education is not the key to success. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in education. However, if education were the key to success, then everyone who has a PhD would be financially secure and happy. If you are intelligent but are not exercising your gift, you're probably going to be poor. If you're educated but have not developed your talent, you're likely to be going, you're likely going to be depressed, frustrated, and tired. You will hate going to work on Monday mornings. Education in itself doesn't guarantee anything. It is your gift that is the key to your success. Very wise words, very true words. It's important to understand that in having read to you what I've just read, that success does not equal wealth, does not equal money. We often use that word. Oh, so-and-so, how are they doing? No, they're very successful. Oh, what do you mean? Well, their business is doing well. and they... Now, is there success in that? For sure. But having money is not the definition of success. Success in life, truly, is discovering who God made you to be and doing what God made you to do. When you discover who God has made you to be and you do what God has made you to do, you will be successful. Simple. That's why Joshua 1 verse, 9, 1 verse 8, God says to Joshua, do not let this, uh, what does it say? It says, do not let this depart from your, from your mouth, my words depart from your mouth, but meditate in them day and night and observe to do according to all that is written in them. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So in other words, he says, when you discover yourself in my word and you discover what I've created you to do and you do it, you will have success wherever you go because that's how I've made you and that's what the, the grace that I've placed on your life. It doesn't mean it'll be without resistance, but it will have tremendous influence. Can you say influence? Very simple word, but it packs a giant punch. So much of our world's way of thinking is that you need to have some kind of position of authority and leadership to have influence. And I really want to debunk that today. Influence is not about titles or status or being able to get others to do what you want them to do. Certainly not kingdom influence. And in the time when Jesus lived and where the disciples were with him and walking with him, they had this idea that Jesus was going to establish this brand new kingdom through which his lordship would be enforced on other people through dominance. But the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is not exerted and expressed from the outside in, but from the inside out. It is the kingdom of love. It is the kingdom of humility. It is the kingdom of servanthood. That's why Jesus said, the greatest from among you shall be your servant. Because in his kingdom, things work in a different way. A verse in Proverbs we just read said that a man's gift makes room for him. That means that your gift will literally usher you into a sphere of influence. Where you can touch and have an impact on the lives around you with the love and the grace of God. Simply by being who you are and using your gift to the blessing of others. And as I've said already, as you seek to serve others, as you seek to actively serve others, you will discover your grace and you will discover your place. 
My wife often gets upset with me when we go to functions, weddings or whatever, because they've got waiters and they've got people to do things, and yet I find myself wanting to get stuck in and lend a helping hand because that is my gift. That's where I find joy. That's where I find pleasure. That's where I find fulfillment. It's not your job. Leave it for the other people. I'm not really good at doing that because that's, that's how it that makes me tick. But as you serve, your gifts, your talents will come to the fore and they will make a difference in someone else's life. Let's look at another portion of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, which speaks about the body of Christ. And it says this from verse 11. And he himself, that being Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. Let's pause for a moment. Works of ministry is not this. It's not where we come to have ministry. The word ministry is simply service. It's to serve. That's it. It's not glamorous. It's not, it doesn't have any great status to it. Works of ministry is simply works of service. I mean, if you look at the board there, how do we share his kingdom? By expressing his love. We're a family on a journey to become more like Christ sharing his kingdom through works of service by expressing his love. Let's carry on. And it says, equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's pause again. This word knowledge, one of my favorite Greek words. It's not the word gnosis, which is understanding. It's the word epignosis, which is revelation knowledge. In other words, this knowledge has become practical, effective in my life, and it's producing fruit. It's not just something I can know about. It's something that I'm walking in and experiencing the goodness of. So we all come to the knowledge of Christ. It's revelation knowledge to a perfect man, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Now, just pause for a moment. We have this idea that we are all joined and knit together in Christ. Would you agree? Are we all joined and knit together in Christ? Yes, we are. We are. We are the body of Christ, the global body. We are the family of God. But we also know that there are families within families. You don't just have brothers and sisters. You most likely have aunties and uncles and cousins. And in every house, they do things slightly differently. They may have the same surname. But their expression of love and life is different and it's unique. What joins and knits this spiritual family together is what every person supplies. It's the potpourri of your fragrance mixing with my fragrance, mixing with your gift, mixing with your grace, mixing with your talent that makes us as a spiritual family, as part of God's greater family, unique special and beautiful, rich and diverse. But it doesn't come through what every person attends. 
<laughs> it comes through what every person supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. And as we all do our share, what happens? The growth of the body. Growth numerically, but growth spiritually. Growth in gifting. Growth in grace. Growth in anointing. Growth in influence happens as we all together do our part for the edifying of the body of itself in love. The Passion Translation of that last verse says, where every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as all these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect or whole or mature in God's love. You see, you and I, we each have a role to play. We have something to contribute. Sometimes, someone's presence is enough. If you have a close relationship with somebody, sometimes, you know, just being in somebody's presence is enough. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to say anything. But being there because of who they are, because of the comfort and the surety that they bring to your own soul, just having them there is something. We all have something to contribute, even if that sometimes is just being there for somebody. But I think what I really want to share this morning is just the idea that the church is not a spectator sport. Spectators make a lot of noise. They offer advice freely, but because they're not directly engaged, they remain out of touch. They don't actually understand the deeper issues of why things are the way they are and of what is truly happening. You can ask any Manchester United supporter right now what their team needs, and they all know exactly what their team needs. They know that it's not Jadon Sancho. They know it's not Ralph Ragnick. They know it's not even Cristiano Ronaldo. And yes, I have loved using this analogy, and I know it's going to come back and bite me someday. But every Manchester United supporter, you go onto social media, they'll tell you, this is what our team needs. We need to get rid of these guys, we need to bring those guys in. Folks, for the last five, six years, you've tried that, it hasn't worked, has it? Right? And this is what happens in church. This is what happens in church. We have spectator sport. This is what our church needs. That's what we need to do. No, we need to stop this, we need to try that. Having an opinion doesn't change anything. And I think if you speak to the coaches and the guys at Manchester United who are actually working their socks off, and if you speak to the players who are trying their best, and yes, it's not clicking right now, what will they say to you? They will say, you're entitled to your opinion. But it doesn't change anything. If it did, they would be the best team in the world. I think many times we've reduced what it means to be the church into a form of spiritual consumerism. That means I come to a gathering to get what it is I think I need. Like strolling through the shelves of a supermarket. I'll have a bit of blessing. I'll have a bit of grace. I'll have a bit of correction. No, we go past there. Uh, oh, no, I don't like this department at all. We're getting out of this area. We'll go back to the fresh start section. We pick and choose what we want of the Word of God, what we want of life. We move around according to our preferences. I like the worship leader there. He's handsome. 
I don't like the Sunday school ministry there. They don't do much. I like this. I like that. And we go according to what we feel or our preferences. And if we don't like the people or we don't like the atmosphere, we just go somewhere else till we get what we want. But the problem with that is that there is no genuine spiritual growth with that kind of mindset. Because you will keep reinforcing what you want and what you believe without it ever being confronted or having to deal with your rough edges in the context of a situation where other people may feel differently, where other people's foibles may cause you to grow and to deal with your own. You see, as members of the body of Christ, we ought to always look for ways that we can contribute. And no, I'm not just talking about money. That's not where this is going. We will find ways that we can make a difference. We will find ways in which we can contribute when we begin to ask the following question. It's four words. How can I help? You want to try that together? How can I help? Well, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) The first thing that you should do and the first thing that I should do is pray. And I'm going to explain to you why. When you carry the love of God and when you realize that you've been made part of a body and you've been placed in a situation within a spiritual family, within a workplace, within a natural family, within a a friendship circle, within a club, with wherever it is that you may find yourself, you realize that God has put you there to love the people that you come into contact with, to serve them to be a blessing to them, to show them what His love is like. Talk to God about those people. Talk to God about the situations that drive you nuts. Because when you say, hey God, what, what is your solution to this problem? God might just say, you're my solution to this problem. But what we need to understand is that not every need and not every problem has your name on it. And you need discernment from God to avoid emotional manipulation. This world is full of it. And I want to say even the church is full of it. We'll get you to do things by making you feel bad if you don't. God has a plan for every situation. And yes, you might be God's plan, but you might also not be God's plan. Some problems require spiritual breakthrough before natural breakthrough can be realized. So if you see somebody that's struggling with something in their life, before you go and try and address it, before you try and give them the answer, before you give them the five-step process that you got from God, are they ready to receive it? How can I help? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because I'm about to tell you now exactly what you need. You know, someone's not ready to receive it. You're wasting your breath. You're wasting your time. You're actually going to alienate them and perhaps even do more harm than good, the good that you sincerely may want to do. Sometimes they need prayer. Sometimes breakthroughs need to come in the prayer closet. Strongholds need to be broken. Grace needs to be released over and into situations before you can actually enter in and do something spiritual or physical, natural, um, practical to help. And also, some situations you cannot fix. Miraculous intervention is needed. A measure of faith and a measure of power that you do not yet possess. And this is why I say to you, the place where you begin to look for opportunities on how to serve is in your prayer closet. 
Because then you know you've got the leading of the Lord. Then you know God is backing you and He is going before you before you've done a single thing. Obviously, I don't mean silly little natural things here. You know, can you please clear the table? Let me pray about it. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a godly influence in somebody's life. And the second thing we do is simply, once we've prayed about it, to do what God says. You see, all that God expects of you and I is simple obedience. And most of the time, the instructions that God gives to you and to me will actually be very straightforward. They'll be simple enough for people like me to actually understand them and do them. And here's, the, here's something that I've learned. Generally, God is looking, not for, he's looking to you not to necessarily solve the problem. He's putting you in a position where you can be a catalyst for his intervention. Sometimes it's just a word that you say or an act that you perform, something that you do that is a catalyst that reorientates somebody's perspective, their expectation, their faith in the right direction. And from there, God takes care of the rest. All he did was use you to ask the right question. I love Siobhan's testimony of how he came to Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship for the first time and ended up sitting next to the force of nature, which is Pastor Andreas. And through some simple questions, no more than three or four, his life was shaken upside down. Huge intervention. God ordained. But praying for somebody takes two things. It takes trust in God's goodness and it takes a love for the person. A trust in God's goodness that I'm talking to God about this because I know God loves that person. God has everything and is everything that that person needs. And so I know he's got the answers here. And he will lead me. He will show me. The greatest kingdom influence that you will ever have in someone's life is to love them practically and in so doing to point them to God. Heidi Baker, the great evangelist and missionary, says that love looks like something. Love is a practical thing. It's not a good idea. It's not just a fuzzy feeling. It looks like something. And He, God, will always be the solution to any problem that you or I may ever face. It's interesting to me that the most influential people in the Bible, those who turn the hearts of others towards God in sincere love and sincere care. It was about influence. 1 Corinthians 4.15 from the message says this. This is Paul writing to the church. He says, There are a lot of people around you who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow. That actually care about you. They see you. They love you. And they'll take the time and the effort to help you grow. And this is the heart and the essence of it all. Simple acts of kindness expressed in love really do make the world of difference. J.R.R. Tolkien, in his book, The Hobbit, made this, in, made this statement. Through Gandalf, I have found that the small everyday deeds of ordinary folks, sorry, it is, I have found that it, it, it is the small everyday deeds of ordinary folks that keep the darkness at bay, small acts of kindness and love. 
the help that you give, small acts of kindness, could be worth far greater influence than you may realize. And you don't need status and you don't need position to be an influencer. I want to close with one story from the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories because it's about a whole bunch of lofty and very important people. And it's the story of Naaman. And I'll just give you a brief background of what's going on here. Naaman was a commander in the king of Syria's army. His wife had a, had a captive Israeli servant girl. And what happened was Naaman had leprosy. Now, he's the commander of the king of Syria's army, but he, 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 he contracted leprosy. And so the, key, the king knew about this. He found out about this. And Naaman's wife had this servant girl who was Israeli. And she said, basically, you know, if, if my master could go to Israel and meet the prophet of God, he would be healed. And so Naaman goes to the king of Syria and says, this girl, this servant girl from Israel says, if, we go and, if I go and I go to, to Israel and I find the prophet of God, I'll be healed of, of my leprosy. So, so what happened is the king now sends him to the king of Israel Naaman comes to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel doesn't know what to do. He thinks now this, this king of Syria wants him to heal his servant, and if he can't do it, he's going to come attack him. This is, this is a war is about to break out now. This is a power play happening here. And again, the people around the king said, no, 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 go, go send him to Elisha the prophet. Let him go and see the prophet. So Naaman takes his entourage. He comes and he rides to go to the house of Elisha the prophet. And here's where we pick up the story, 2 Kings chapter 5, from verse 9. Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha didn't even bother to get up. He sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me, and he will stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and he, was, he will wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. You can see his pride here is, I'm an important guy, I'm a dignitary, I'm the head of the king of the, Syri of the Syrian army, for goodness sake. Are not Abana and Parpar, Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went out in a rage. And his servant came near to him and spoke to him and said, My father, that word is, is significant. It was not his natural father. But this word of father denotes an attitude of sonship, an attitude of sincere care for this master that he would recognize and treat him as a father and allow him to have fatherly influence in his life. This is a very intimate relationship. Certainly this man was loved by that servant. My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? I think so often this is our attitude as well. God, I want to save the world for you. Great. Would you just go to that person and tell them I love them? No, that's not big enough. It can't be God. Same kind of attitude. And so the servant says to him, if he asked you to do something small, wash and be clean. So he went down. In other words, Naaman relented. 
he heeded the, the, the advice of his servant. He went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So this story, like I've said, is filled with a bunch of powerful and influential people. You've got the king of Israel, the king of Syria. You've got Naaman, the commander of the Syrian armies. You've got Elisha, the prophet of God. Yet the most influential people in the story are not even mentioned by name. Just a captive Israeli girl who spoke to her master about her faith and a servant of Naaman who loved him and got him to reconsider his attitude and in so doing receive his healing. That's why I love this story. The most influential people here were people just like you and me with no title, no great ambition, no nothing. But they changed the course of this man's life. My question is, where has God placed you? He's placed you in a spiritual family. He's placed you in a natural family. He's placed you in a workplace. He's placed you in a friendship circle. And he's put people around you that he loves, that he's crazy about. They might even be his favorite. And he's put you in the midst of them to show them what his love looks like. To find practical ways of asking God and maybe even asking them, how can I help you? What can I do to make your life better? Where are you struggling? That are willing to use their gifts you know, I know in our, in our fellowship, if I have some technological issue, I get Stephen on the blower. Stephen, help me with this. If I want to know what Paul said to somebody somewhere in the New Testament, I get Siobhan on the blower. Siobhan, where do I find this again? Okay, thank you. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's, 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 there's people around us. There's people around the table you're sitting at who carry wonderful, rich, and diverse gifts from God. But they mean nothing, folks, if we keep them locked up. They mean nothing if you keep looking to the pastor or the cell group leader or somebody to meet all the needs, to pray for everybody, to have things happen. What will happen? You know what? Those needs may well get met, but you will not grow. Your influence will not grow. Your gift will not grow. Maybe it's still not even discovered. So I want to ask you this question. Where has God placed you, and how can you help? Just that simple. When you understand and can answer those two questions, you are opening yourself up to a world of grace and anointing that comes from, through, from God and through you into the lives of other people that will encourage them, that will set them free, that will provision them, that will make a way for them, simply by being who you are and using your gifts as you naturally would for yourself. So would you just bow your heads with me wherever you may be as we, as we just pray this one through and say, Father, I want to thank you this morning that every one of us has been fearfully and wonderfully made by you. We even heard our kids talking about it this morning. You've made us with purpose, on purpose. And I want to thank you this morning, Father, for the people that you've placed in our lives and the people 
into whose lives you have placed us. I want to thank you for the spiritual family, for every heart and for what it is that you're doing in us and among us in this time and season. And Lord, my, my, my prayer today is that you would help us to recognize and to see the value and the beauty in every single person that you have brought into our sphere of influence. I pray that you would quicken our hearts, Lord God, to lift our attention from ourselves and having our own needs met by being so self-absorbed in the things that we may need or may be feeling, that we would actually stop and lift our heads for a moment to see those around us and to see them through your eyes and to recognize what it is that they might be needing and to do what it is that we can by your leading to help, to lead them to you, to speak a word of encouragement, to give something as it is needed, to do something as we are able. Lord, that our influence may grow and that through us your influence and your kingdom may grow and find expression. Thank you, Father God, that this doesn't take a great title. This doesn't take great importance. It just takes a heart that's willing to give practical love. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would move over our hearts in this area, in Jesus' name. That you would make, fill us so, so full with your love for others that, that we cannot remain passive. That we would not be able to just sit still while we know that there are those among us who are struggling or suffering in some kind of way. Help us, my Lord, to be the light in the darkness. Help us to be the salt that savors. Help us to be the one who rocks up with the word of encouragement, whatever it may be that is needed, and with a simple question, how can I help? Thank you that you've called us to be the difference makers and that you are the difference that makes the difference. So I, I commit this word to you today to the ministry of your spirit. And I pray and ask that you would breathe over it as we continue to meditate on it throughout this week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.